Hey everybody, welcome to the No Pants Required Podcast. I am your host, Jen Mann, and today I am wearing a skirt with pockets because all the pool kids are doing it. My guest for this episode is Jacinda Wilder. Jacinda Wilder is a New York Times, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, and international best-selling author. She's a Michigan native with a penchant for titillating tales about sexy men and strong women. Her best-selling titles include Alpha, Stripped, Wounded, and the number one Amazon and international bestseller, Falling Into You. You can find her on her farm in Northern Michigan with her husband, author Jack Wilder, and her six children, plus their menagerie of animals. All right, everybody. Hi, how are you? Welcome to the No Pants Required podcast. And today I am interviewing Jacinda Wilder. So I met Jacinda a few years ago. I was invited to a party with some other independent authors. And I remember meeting her. We do not write the same genre at all. I can't write a sex scene to save my life. And um, Jacinda is pretty fucking amazing at it. So you know, Thank you. But I, just, I, I remember talking to Jacinda and you, and, and I still remember the advice you gave me. I had just gotten started and I had a pretty large social media following. And you were like, yeah, but do you have a newsletter? And I was sort of like, no, I don't need a newsletter. I have like this platform. And you were like, mm, good luck with yeah. that. Yeah. And because you could see the future coming. You knew that. <laughs> I think I was for, I like, so I don't know if you know this or I, I haven't talked about it a whole lot, but I, we had a Facebook page with like over 100,000 followers. And at Christmas time, the week of Christmas, Facebook had this huge site-wide glitch and all these pages went down and mine was one of the never recovered. So oh, thank no. God for my newsletter because yeah, it was, and that's, and I'm, that's like something that I want to talk about more too, because I'm saying as independent authors, we need to have like insurance in our social media pages or something, because that is so important to get your, the word out. So it was a big learning lesson for me. And I'm glad that you started that newsletter when you did. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was like, dang it. I should have started it 10 years before, but thank you yeah. for that advice. And so if you're listening right now and you're an, an author, independent or traditionally published, if you are relying yeah. on your social media, do not rely on that completely. Of course, we all need to do that, but go get yourself a damn newsletter because yeah. holy crap, because I just had a, like a minor heart attack when you talked about that. Oh, my, I, um, I cried for days, literally yeah. my week of Christmas this year on top of the COVID, you know, not seeing my family and all that jazz. We did, we lost our Facebook page and I was on this, on the phone and on, you know, like this virtual chat with Facebook, most of our holiday this year. So yeah. 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 yeah that's awful. Well, especially when there's no 1-800 number, you can just call up and like no. ask for help. Nobody, that's nobody knows what's going on. Like they're uh-uh. like, we don't know. Weird. I'll try to help you with that. All right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we just, we just went right into the middle, but in case <laughs> no one knows who we are or what we're doing here, I'm interviewing Jacinda Wilder and Jacinda, I want you to tell me kind of how all this started. How did you get a page with a hundred thousand followers that you uh, ended up losing? But how did you get there? Where did you guys start all this? Man, this is such a long story. Do we have hours or days? Let me know. We have a whole okay. hour. So, okay. And I do love a good origin story. So go. Okay. <laughs> this is the cliff notes, I would say. My husband was in school. He went, he would did the long 
college plan where you just go forever and never really get your degree. And he was an English history major. And I finally was like, you need a real job. So he was going back to get a master's and a teaching certificate. And I was teaching six days a week. And then I also led worship on Sunday mornings. So we were, you know, crazy. We had a bunch of kids and I had just had our fifth child which I do not recommend at all uh, under any circumstances, but we, <laughs> we <laughs> brought him home from the hospital. And two weeks after we had him, he got deathly ill and landed in the hospital. And so within a couple weeks time, we were basically financially devastated because obviously teachers live paycheck to paycheck in America. And we were, you know, facing hospital bills and all kinds of stuff. So we were in a very dire situation and my husband had to drop out of the teaching program that he was in because it was an honors program. They only accepted a handful of students and they told him, if you aren't going to be back by this date, we have to let you go. So because our son was so sick, he actually coded three times our child. So he just didn't feel like he could go back to work when we were worried he was going to pass. I mean, they sent the chaplain in to like tell us that, you know, comfort us that he might not make it. And so we had no money. We were about to lose our house. And our neighbor came over and said, hey, you should self-publish because she knew that I had written in the past. I, I was a theater teacher, so I was writing monologues and plays and stuff for my students. And my husband was like major into poetry and he had wrote a bunch of short stories. He won awards for short stories. And I laughed at her. I literally laughed at her. I was like, that, no way. That's not happening. I couldn't even think at that point, too, because I was like sleep deprived and our son was still sick, but she was bringing over food. So I, you know, engaged this little conversation for a hot minute. And then someone else suggested it to us totally out of the blue. And I got on my computer and Googled because we were probably about 30 days from losing our house at that point, or maybe two months. I mean, it was very close. I was getting nervous. I wasn't sleeping because I was so worried about it. And I happened upon a blog. And I literally sat there and just read and read and read and read and read and realized, hey, that I mean, what else do we have to lose? It's like Tupperware or self-publishing, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so my husband and I borrowed an old MacBook and we got all of our poems formatted, which I know I'm like, why did I for the, like think for a second we were going to make any money with poetry? <laughs> but it was just kind of an experiment to see if we could do it. We bought a pre-made cover, threw it up there. And I mean, we didn't lose money. I think we made like $3 or something. So I mean, that, nothing real big, but hey, that's really still winning. I mean, anything at that point, right? it was almost yeah. a hot and ready, right? So <laughs> we just decided to try to get more of our stuff together, more of our stories that we had. My husband literally had like notebooks of stories that partially finished and, and what have you. So we got them out really, really quick. I mean, I think in the first couple months, we had like eight different stories. Some of them were short stories. There was one full-length novel, but we started seeing more money come in and it was shocking. Like we couldn't believe it. And I remember that was, I think this started, the picking up kind of happened in like the fall around this time. And by Christmas, we bought a car. Holy crap. So Yeah. I mean, that's how quick this took off. And what, what year was this? What year was 2012. 
Okay, so yeah, so that was sort of the... 2012. I feel like uh, 2011, 2012, I feel like that was yeah. like the sweet spot for oh, all this stuff happening. Oh, take me back there. It was such a good time. Yeah. But we, our son got better, praise the Lord. He's Thank he's, God. Yes. And we just continued to write. I quit my job. I taught for another year. And uh-huh. then we started writing full time in our basement. We had a little office in our basement. And yeah, it's been an amazing ride. An amazing, amazing ride. And so how many books do you have published now? My gosh, I don't know. I think I stopped counting after like the hundredth title just because it was, yeah, it was a lot. But I think those first couple of years, we, we kind of almost burnt ourselves out because we were just like going for it. You know, we had all these ideas in our heads, Mm -hmm. like, let's get it out. Let's get it all out. But we just pushed really hard and going, like, if I look back now, I'm thinking we probably should have like taken a breath or a vacation somewhere in there. You guys were kind of a machine back then. I, I remember oh, yeah. that, that, yeah. you know, it just seemed like yeah. every time I turned around, there was a new title coming out and not, and, and, and the thing I want to be really clear about too, is that, you know, I think self-publishing kind of gets a bad rap because people do yeah. put out a lot of content, but you guys put out really good content. Like that's, I think that's, that's also though I think where, where the success camp comes from is that the cream yeah. kind of rises to the top. Yeah. Do you guys get I, your stuff edited or do you oh, do it yeah. yourself? Yeah. When we first started, we were trading services. You know, my yeah. husband does have a degree in English, so obviously mm-hmm. that helped. And my mother has a doctorate in education, so she was doing, uh, going through and doing some copy editing for us. But I was trading services, so I would do some helping with blurbs, or I would give advice about covers, or and anything I could think of. I mean, literally at that point, we were doing anything to help get people to help, because we didn't have the money to do it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. We had a friend that did covers for us in exchange for a couple different things. So, I mean, we just were, anything we could think of to get our books out, we would make these little deals. <laughs> Let's make a deal. What do you need? <laughs> right. I can do it for you. And that was what was so amazing about the indie community, too, is like, you know, there was the Kindle boards and you would post like, I need help with this. Does anybody do this? I'll, you know, what do you need? I, and it was there. And so thankfully we were able to get editing and, and work stuff out that way. But as it progressed, we did get some amazing editors that we worked with. One of the, the first editors was a woman who had retired from Harlequin and she was just this amazing mentor to us. And so we had a lot of great people that we got to work with. So very thankful that those people came in and helped us when we needed it too. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of wrote across several genres. You had poetry, yes. you had short stories. Like where did you finally land and find like the greatest success you think for you guys? Well, I remember reading a review because I do read reviews, believe it or not. I probably should I do learn too. my lesson. I, yeah. I think yeah. you have to, because you got to know what you got to fix or what people like and do more of it or whatever. So yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And one of the reviews I read was like, you know, I really like this author. And we had we were working on several pen names at this point too, because we weren't sure what direction we wanted to go. And it said, you know, this is supposed to be this genre, but it's really romance. And this is supposed to be this, but it's really romance. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think all of our stories really are ro- are romance. Mm-hmm. And we had this little conversation. We were talking about like my husband's favorite stories that he read growing up. And it was like Outlander. And I was laughing hysterically, oh. you know? And... I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, we're both writing romance. We need to just streamline this and put these out. Yeah, so that's how it kind of just came to be that we decided this is the way we're going to go because this is what we love to read. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were romance readers, so 
it makes sense for us to be writing what we love to read, right? A story that you're interested in reading, right? Right, right. So that's exactly. what we did. Oh my gosh. Which one broke out for you first, do you think? Which, do you know? I remember very distinctly that my phone started blowing up when I was teaching, which is a no-no. I would not check my phone when I was teaching, but having little kids, I was very nervous, like that something was going on. So I checked my phone and my husband was like, we're 400 in the Amazon store. And before that, we had just been like, you know, in the thousands somewhere. I mean, I was excited if we were like in 20,000. That was awesome. And it was the Big Girls Do It series. And that book is literally a book that I wasn't even going to publish. I wrote it um, while I was laying down, breastfeeding my baby with my finger on an iPad. That is how that story came to be. And it was kind of more like, like partially my life. And so I wasn't sure if I wanted to publish it because it felt very personal. But I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And that book took off almost immediately. I think the cover, because the cover was very provocative, it just kind of hit a mark. And that book took off for us really quickly. And we were really good friends with Hugh Howie from the Kindle boards. And I remember messaging him and I was like, um, we're four, we're 400 right now. And he was like, wow, you're going to go all the way. And I was just laughing. I'm like, no, that's it. Like we've reached the pinnacle of success. Like I can die happy now. This is amazing. And he was like, no, I think this is just the beginning. So it, he it was, was right. He was right. Yeah, for sure. He's always <laughs> right. He was always right. He is. He's a good, he, he really is. He's a good resource. If you need information that's always right, he's the guy. Absolutely. <laughs> when you, so when that book took off and went to 400 on all of Amazon, so that means in mm-hmm. all of the books that Amazon sells, the millions yes. and millions of books that Amazon sells, it was the 400th most popular book, which is yeah. incredible. My question is, did you have others in that series already done yet? Or did you have to get going? We, I think at that time we had an, I was working on the second one. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, we were always working on several books. I know it sounds so crazy because some people are like, how can you do that? But I would write several books at the same time, just like I can read several books at the same time. And so I know we had that one going, but I think at that time we were kind of working on a bunch of different projects. And I was like, well, whatever hits, we're just going to throw a bunch of darts at the wall. And then if one takes off, we'll kind of go that way. Whatever one has the best rank that day, I'll write on. And so we definitely at that point dropped everything and put it all towards that series for sure. Cause I've read that series and I would say that sp- series is a little, um, a little spicy. Oh, it's very and- spicy. Very <laughs> spicy. Yeah. It, okay. It's very spicy. Yeah. And my question is about earlier, you said that you were a worship leader at church. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I know, Lost my I job know what it's immediately. like. Well, I was going to say, I know what it's like to go to church <laughs> when you write people. I want to punch in the throat and people are like, yeah. Oh, hey, yeah. You use the F-bomb like commas and, you know, but you go in there and go to church. Like, what's it like to go to church when everybody's read your spicy book? You know, that was actually, it's, it's weird for me again, looking back, because at the time it was heartbreaking. I actually got called in and told that I was no longer going to be able to participate in any, well, my husband and I, any form of like service with our church. And it actually was- No, it it was not because of that book. That's what I thought was so funny is like, okay, here I'm writing about like really graphic sex, but they actually um, told me that the decision was made because we were writing at the, it's so funny. I mean, I I don't want to laugh when I say it because it wasn't funny. I was so heartbroken and so sad. I cried my eyes out because I loved what I did. But it was because we were writing a series that had elements of magic. Magic. And um, it was actually... 
I know, so silly. It was Jack and Jin. And it was a story about these women that were also genies. And they had a problem with that. And so oh my, my husband, who worked with the youth, he was removed from his position from the high school you know, youth group. And then I was told I was no longer allowed to be on the worship team. And wow, yeah, it was really sad. You know, we just felt at that point, like we couldn't even return to that church after that happened. And we moved <laughs> because it, it kind of like spread, you know, that was our little community. That was mm-hmm. part of like how we felt like we, you know, belonged. And it just felt like at that point, we didn't really have that anymore. It was really sad. But I think, you know, that's still an issue that I'm seeing so much today. I even Mm -hmm. this morning saw an author on TikTok talking about how she gets so angry that she gets told that she just writes porn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I happen to love Jesus, but I also really like sex, like a lot. And so for me, I feel like one thing has nothing to do. Well, it actually does have to do with each other because I believe that God created sex for pleasure. Um, But that's a whole other story. But I think it's really important that we as women don't back down. And I did, I really did back down with all of those things. I just was kind of like, okay, and I'm just going to turn and walk away. And now I should have probably punched them all in the throat, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I do think it, I think you're right though. I think that, I think that, um, I was talking to another author earlier this week who she writes romance and, Mm -hmm. you know, the thing is, is that I think romance, when you look at romance readers, they devour more books probably than any other genre that I can think of. I mean, it's like they love to read and it gets such a bad rep. And then every now Mm -hmm. and again, you get something that's like maybe Outlander breaks out or something like that. Like you were saying earlier, you realize that Outlander is romance, you know, and it's like, but there's so many people who read it and they're like, oh, but it's, you know, historical and there's things going on. And so it's more highbrow. And I just, that kind of frustrates me and it makes me a little irritated because I feel like, so many of my friends who do write romance or erotica or whatever it is that they're writing, they are like small business owners who are making shit happen and entertaining yeah. masses of people and making yeah. them happy. So what the fuck is your problem? You know, it actually makes me so sad what it does, because, you know, my husband grew up in the Baptist church and his father is a Baptist minister, Southern Baptist minister, side note. And when we first started writing this, I, we got a big old letter from his, his father telling us all the reasons why we were, you know, going against the Bible and being sinful and all these things. And I sent him all the letters from women who had written to me telling me that I was keeping them happily married. And I literally just like took out the names and forwarded those to him. And it changed his mind. I mean, I really, truly believe that, you know, happy marriages have women that enjoy sex with their partner and know about their bodies and know what gives them pleasure and communicate with their partner. And, you know, I really think that, especially if you're a woman that's had children and your hormone levels go down, that, you know, reading the 15, 20 minutes of an erotic novel at night or romance can really help spark that marriage up. And so (laughs) I see no problem with it. I think it's really, I I just don't think that, I think that we need to stand up the women and and say, this is what we like. Hey, almost every great story in the history of the world is romance. Like Mm -hmm. literally Star Wars is romance. Harry Potter Mm -hmm. is really a romance. Like all these books that we love, all these movies we love, they're romance. So let's just embrace it, drop the bullshit 
and enjoy sex and, and not apologize for it. That's what I think. Well, and I think too, for me, like my mom read romance when I was growing up and I was that kid who would like sneak books because, you know, back when we were kids, you know, they didn't have YA really. They didn't have, it was either like, you know, early readers or, you know, Danielle Steele and Jackie Collins. And I went straight to Jackie Collins because Danielle Steele always faded to black. And so I was like, no, I want to know what's happening. And, you know, and you learned, I think you learn a lot. It's like you said, you learn what you like, you learn what is pleasurable. You learn things to try. You're like, Oh, you know, I was just talking to a friend last night and she was telling me that she was in her thirties before anyone even told her about masturbation. And she was like, I didn't even know that existed. And I was like, what? Like, have you read a book? Like what's happening right now? Like, Oh my Lord. And so I think, you know, I think you're right that like as middle-aged women, as I'm getting older, you know, my, my, my level is kind of here, but I read a book and, and I think women are that, you know, men, yeah. They like to see things. We like to envision yes. things. We and all so- know what men like. We all yeah. know. Everyone yeah. knows. It's yeah. not a secret. But it's like you meet a woman and she's like, oh, I like this. And you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. And that's, you might not know unless you did. Like you said, read about it. Yeah. And I think, it, and to me, it's like, I remember, and I think it maybe it was you. I hope it was you. Otherwise I'm wrong. But I thought I went to like a conference at some point and you were speaking and you were talking about that couples listen to your audiobook together. Yes. Is that you? At night. Yes. 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 And, yes. you know, and now there is, I just saw an ad for a new app where it is like, it's like stories that you listen to, yes. you know, like, and they're, they're spicy. They're, they're yeah. sexy stories. And I thought, oh, this is like just what P- Jacinda was saying people do with her yeah. audiobook that, you yeah. know, you listen to. And I think that's the other thing is I think you can introduce your partner and it makes the conversation a little bit easier. You can be like, hey, I read about this in a book and I was wondering, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to try this sometime? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, then and that I think it's. Right. And I think you're having conversations then about that, whereas it opens up a door to conversation. Men really are visual, right? Mm -hmm. Women need to see, but they also need to hear. They need to hear that. That's why women get turned on when their men are speaking naughty to them, right? Like that's, that's the thing. So we just have to know this is who we are. Like embrace it. Embrace it. Yeah. I just, I don't see anything wrong with it. And I'm so sorry that your church did that. And I'm, and the magic thing too, just it puts me over the edge because it's just, I could go on a whole episode about just the magic <laughs> side of it. So have you guys landed anywhere else? Are you, did you find a new church? Like, I know that was important to you. Did you find a new place? You know, I have not been felt comfortable being in a position of leadership since that mm-hmm. moment, obviously. And I've been busy raising kids and now we have a farm and I preach to the chickens. But <laughs> I do think that having a place of worship where you feel accepted and loved and comfortable is really important. And our family has been on a long journey with that. I don't think that it's easy, especially in this day and age when we're so divided. You know, mm-hmm. I'm kind of in the middle. It's like, I really like you know, that, that saying of like, I like gangster rap, but I also love Jesus. Like that's a hard thing to kind of ride, but that's just how I'm made. That's always been how I am always. So, you know, luckily I have so many kids now that it feels like we're in church, no matter where we go, because there's just a big giant group of us. And my daughter loves singing praise and worship with me. But Mm -hmm. I do think that's something that just as a, people we are going to have to come to grips with that we can't just keep pigeoning people into certain groups and putting them in boxes and thinking that you can't 
you know, be one way and think one way and have an open mind and love this, but then also really have a strong spiritual and religious background. Like, I think that's really important to understand that people are, are all different and love them for exactly where they're at. It's, it's so hard. So, so hard. It is. And you are not the only person I hear this from. So many of my friends are, you know, I love Jesus and F-bombs or I love Jesus yeah. and gangster rap or I love Jesus yeah. and smut or whatever it is, yeah. you know, and it's like, yeah. but they can't find a home. And so I think mm-hmm. if you are a, if you are a, a moderate pastor out there listening to this, I don't, yeah. first of all, welcome. How'd you get here? Yeah. But second of all, like there, I think there's a big niche for that because I think there is, there's a desire. Cause I think what people really like about the church, at least for me growing up, you know, my husband is also the son of a pastor and my family has a long line of pastors in there too, believe it or not. And, uh, and it's the community. It's the sense yes. of community. You know, it's, yes. it's like, I can go sit in any church and worship. I can go read the Bible anywhere. I can go sing yeah. songs, but it's really the community and the people and being surrounded yes. by people who, who care about you, who want to help you if you need help, you know, or that you can help if they need help. And that's the part I think that a lot of people are really missing, especially right now with COVID going on. And so I understand why they want their churches open. But on the other hand, it's also not very safe right now. So maybe, you know, zoom it for a bit more. That's what we've been doing. And my family, it's like, it's a progression. You know, my kids, we had been watching online a local church. Uh And when the George Floyd tragedy happened, I have children that are biracial. And the pastor that Sunday made no mention of it. Zero. Mm. And my kids were like, mom, Jesus would have mentioned this. And we don't feel like this is what we want to sit and watch anymore. And so I had to go, okay, my kids are going to leave me on this. We're going to figure out where we're going to go. So just finding a place where my kids feel comfortable with the, with the climate of not feeling threatened or sad, or, you know, I think it's so important, but I think the community, especially that's why I love the book community so much. I mean, you, it doesn't matter where you came from. If you go to a book event, I mean, people that love books are just the best people. I, I say that all the time. There's just a feeling that you have a camaraderie. You're like, we're readers. We love books. And I mean, that really truly is my community. And I've been so thankful during this COVID time that we have that. I was, I think all the time, like, what if we were 20, 30 years ago and we didn't have this kind of ability to have community with each other virtually. Like what, what would that look like? How would that be? I can't even imagine it. It's so great to, to, (laughs) no, I mean, yikes. But the, the fact that there's so many people so excited, especially the book talk community, which I think is amazing. I just sit there. I, I'm not good at putting that stuff out really, but I love seeing it. I just sit there and soak it all in people being so excited about reading. That's one thing Hugh Howie said to me years ago. He was like, you know, the thing that I think about the most is how many people there are out there that aren't reading, that aren't readers, that are missing out on this. And how do you get those people excited? So I'm hoping that the book talk kind of, you know, lights that fire, especially the younger community about reading. It's, it's so interesting you bring that up because I think just about every interview I've done so far with an author, we all come back to book talk because we're yeah. all so excited about it. To me, it has the same energy that kind of we saw back in 2011 yes. and 2012 when people were sort yeah. of coming around indie authors. And I, in those days, I was blogging. And so it was the blogging world. You know, that we were finding yeah. so many new readers. And they were just sort of finding us organically. 
And that's the TikTok thing, you know, that's- because then it, it turned into such a self-promotion thing for all of us. You know, we have these yes. big groups and really the big groups are just ways for us to promote ourselves and to connect with our readers. But it's a, it's a promotion. It's us running these groups. It's not, there's no group out there, of you know, Jen Mann's fans that I don't know about that have a hundred thousand people in it. Right, you know? right. And that's where I think the book talk community has been so crazy because they, they're not getting paid, which is yeah. kind of a rarity anymore too. That well, and I hope that doesn't change. Lovers. I do too. Because that's what I was talking, I was talking about, you know, when this whole indie author thing happened, what made it so special and unique is that it was organic. Just the word mm-hmm. that you used, right? The book would be mentioned and it would go word of mouth. And then the next thing you know, it would take off, but then things changed. We don't have to get into mm-hmm. that, but things are different now. And so the books that necessarily go viral are not going viral organically or aren't happening as, as easily as they did, especially indie books. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we had Facebook and then we all saw, okay, well, Facebook is paid now. So it's changing. The algorithms have changed. Now we went to Instagram, then Instagram started monetizing because Facebook purchased it. And I just think we're going to have to keep moving wherever the freedom of speech and allowing things to organically grow happens because otherwise we're all just being influenced by things that are not truly what is being loved and appreciated. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like freedom of speech, truly, to be able to find the things that people really are excited about. Well, and it's fun to watch the book talkers because yes. so many of them are passionate about the books that they read. And the thing I really like about it too, is that they're pulling out, some of them are pulling out books that are like five to 10 years old. I mean, yes. I went into a bookstore the other day and they had a whole table of book talk and it was just None of them were new releases, you know, yeah. which is a very rare thing for a re- for a for an author to have your book on a table in the middle of a bookstore and it's not a new release. It's yeah. practically unheard of these days. It's so. totally unheard of because of how you used to pay for placement. Publishers yeah. would pay for what books got to the front. That's not happening. I mean, I, I just had this conversation with the retailer. They're like, and if your book goes viral on BookTok, tell us right away. You know, like they're they want to know. They're excited uh-huh. about it. They want to yeah. know what's happening. I mean we continue to rewrite the story on how this entire business is going. I think it's awesome. And I also, again, think it's the generation is changing. You know, my daughter who wasn't allowed to read certain books, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I had that they too. Were, <laughs> right. And now she's like, mom, have you heard about this book? I'm like, have I heard about that? I have a signed copy, you know? So <laughs> she, she's getting this excitement from watching book talkers who are experiencing these books for the first time. I think it is so amazing that that's happening. Like, awesome. Well, the one, the one that my daughter came to me with is Flowers in the Attic. She was oh like, my gosh. she was like, mom, she's like, I saw, this, you know this? I saw this thing on TikTok about this crazy <laughs> book that I kind of want to read, but I, I'm not sure you'll buy it for me. And I'm like, what's it called? And she's like, Flowers in the Flowers Attic. In the she's attic. 14. I was like, girl, yeah. like, that was when I was 10, it's downstairs on my bookshelf. Go exactly. Ahead. I was That's like, knock it. yourself out, but be prepared. There's a lot, it needs a lot of trigger warnings. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't believe the things I read so young. I like, know. I think back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, where was my mother? What was she thinking? But she my got like was, the subscription, you know, where you yeah. got a box and it, and it, I, she would open it and there was some that she wouldn't read. So I could steal those first. Like one uh-huh. author she just obviously didn't like. And then I would have to like steal ones and put other books in its place. So she didn't know on the bookshelf that it was missing. But I was like, I was literally like 11 years old reading these books. Probably yeah. not good parental choices, huh? 
Well, I feel like I told her I felt like uh, Flowers in the Attic was sort of Fifty Shades of Grey. It was sort of our first experience oh. with Fifty Shades of Grey. Like everybody in the playground was like passing old one one worn copy around the playground. Yes. Like don't let anyone see this. Like don't let yes. anyone know. And like a few years ago, I went to pick my kids up at, at elementary school, and then one of the moms comes over. And she's like, "Hey, you write you write books." I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Do you have Fifty Shades of Grey? It's all sold out. Where do I get a copy?" Oh my gosh. I was like, "I was like, I got it on the Kindle, baby. I'll send it to you." Yeah, <laughs> passing like, out copies in the in the PTO meeting yeah right? and so and I I to me that is the sort of energy that I love with readers because yes. I think readers only only readers that I've known have that kind of energy I don't you know I don't have anyone bringing me bootleg movies or telling me I should watch this you know tv show I mean Netflix has a little bit of that kind of going on there, there's always people emailing me and telling me what I should be watching on Netflix but yeah. not like books I feel like and no. so that's why I'm, no. I'm really excited about what they're doing over there Absolutely. And I hope it keeps going. And if it doesn't, we've got to find another way, another place for them to move to. Yeah. You just have to keep running away from the, the monetization of the ads and stuff. That's what I keep yeah. saying. Like I always, I, I didn't, I purposely didn't do a lot of ads when it started coming up because it just felt disingenuous to me. And I was so used to our books being picked up organically. So mm -hmm. when I see that, like, especially authors I've never heard of, I get so excited. Like that mm -hmm. just, it makes me so happy that that's happening again. It's awesome. So are you, are you, so do you have a TikTok account then? Are you on? I, it's really lame. There's, it's mostly my husband dancing because okay. I, I, yeah. And some of my kids, my kid, my teenagers, you know, we've, they actually don't have social media. I have oh. one that's almost 18 that has an Instagram that I. Is, is that your rule or their own choice or? Um, it's both. both. You know, we okay. had a lot of conversations about it and. I think it, my, my daughter, I think would like to be in the book talk world. She goes on Pinterest and can see a lot of book talk stuff, which I'm like, uh -huh. that's so bizarre. But, but I think it's for, for them, I think it was also like a safety issue that they felt better because they saw mm -hmm. and heard things that were happening. But yeah, I think we're kind of just have been anti-social media a lot in our family. Cause we're like, do you want to be subjected to things that can make you addicted or that make it difficult for you to sleep at night? Cause that's important for my family. So yeah, we just haven't done it that much, but now I see my kids, especially with the ones that are readers. Cause I have mm -hmm. a, one of my younger sons is like a big reader too. They, my daughter will show them, look this, this um, TikTok about Harry Potter or something like that. And they get all excited. So I love that about it. I love that aspect about it. So my daughter started making TikToks for me to post. Oh, good. And that's how it started because they were doing TikTok dances. Uh. But I actually signed on to it so they could look at it like years ago when it first mm -hmm. started, maybe 2019, I want to say. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I started looking at it and I got kind of like overwhelmed. Just I have the kind of personality where too much lights and sound in the very beginning of TikTok. I think it's different now. It's evolved from when I first looked at it, but it was very overwhelming to my senses. And so I was like, okay, let's put this away. Let's not do it. But then, like I said, recently, my daughter wanted to look at it more and did little dances and my husband does ridiculous things. And then we kind of had this whole thing with my older teens where we were kind of embarrassing them, but they thought it was funny. So you know, if I can work it into my parenting, I'll usually throw it in. So right. How, how old are your kids now? What are their ages? Oh, let's see. We're about to embark on birthday season where everybody's birthdays change. But I have one that's almost 18, 17, almost 16, 10, 9, and 6. It's a big range. And everybody's still All at home. Everyone still lives at home. Everyone still lives at home. My oldest is a senior this year. 
And half of them returned to school. The other half did not, kind of based Mm -hmm. on the whole vaccination things. I really need to get everybody back to school. Please, Jesus. (laughs) But yeah, this time actually has been really good for us because I think we've learned a lot about each other, learned a lot on how our family functions. And I'll be honest, when we first started the whole lockdown, it was crazy. Like I had two kids that were coming to blows almost every night, like knockdown, drag out. Yeah. They just, they're oil and water. Right. But now everyone, since we've had to live together in close proximity, the relationships have really changed. So I've seen a lot of good things and silver linings amid this whole craziness that we've all been experiencing too. Oh, that's good. Because a few years ago you moved to a farm, you gave everything up and you moved to a farm. Yes. And are you like, are you, so I live in Kansas and everybody assumes okay. I live on a farm, but I don't even really know about farm life. Are you really on a farm? Are you really, we you are just have really a on a farm. We bought one of the oldest farms actually in the area, which we didn't know at the time. And it had a lot of old orchards on it. So we cleared a lot of land. We brought in a lot of animals. People just gave us a bunch of animals because they (laughs) knew we had a barn. It's funny because I'm like, we had no animals when we moved here. And now we have like 200. I don't know how that happened. But yeah. You have 200 animals? With the birds. When you include all the birds. Because we two of my sons have a little egg thing that they do. Our neighborhood, they do egg delivery. And so when COVID started, you couldn't get a lot of like milk and eggs in our area. And so my boys just started delivering eggs and leaving out eggs for people that, that needed it. Uh-huh. And they kind of grew into this giant thing. So we have a lot more birds now and uh, pigs and horses and donkeys and mules and goats. And <sighs> yeah, I don't recommend that either. I don't know what I was thinking about that either. Really, do you guys honestly. all just take, like, you guys all can take care of all those animals? Like do you have, Helpers, farm hands. Like, what? here's the funny thing about that, Jen. Like, <laughs> right? We. So this is a longer story too. But we ended up leaving the farm for a couple of years because my one of my sons had a, a very serious issue, and so we moved away for a couple of years. And so we did have people taking care of it, like minimally. I'm going to be honest. We get we put a, we let a lot of things go during that time because at the time our number one priority was our child and making sure he was okay. And so we had gone from a really robust, uh, we have grapes. And so we were harvesting grapes and I just was like, okay, all that matters right now is making sure everyone's fed and alive. And so we let a lot go. But then when we came back with COVID, uh, when my kids felt like that was the best place for us to be for a long duration of time, the people that were taking care of our property all got COVID. And so that was a real bad thing because my, my one son is very high risk because he had this issue when he was born and he also has a a small brain tumor that's inoperable. So we said, okay, we're going to handle all this ourselves. We're going to just take care of it. We don't want to worry about any exposure risks. So we had to do a lot Mm. with the farming when we came back, our orchards needed to be taken care of. We started taking care of the vines which this is a trained, like, I just want to say farming is amazing. Farmers out there, I give props. People think it's not that hard of a job. It is one of the hardest jobs. Like it's like teaching nurses, farmers. This is the real deal. These are the people that are doing the hard work. And we had to learn a lot of stuff and, you know, make sure that our vines were okay and our orchards were okay and our animals were doing well. We had calves born during this whole thing. So 
it's been a learning curve for sure. My husband and I even took some classes, some that were very helpful, like online, you know, farming classes just to try to be able to figure out what we were doing. Other ones like how to kill your own animals and eat them. We were like, okay, this is not something we can do. We cannot do this. So we, again, decided we would save that to a professional and figure out what we're good at, what we're not. Yeah, we're good at writing romance and maybe like, you know, weeding, but killing the turkeys we could not do. So we did have to learn a lot during this time because we went from zero to 60 real quick of things that needed to be taken care of on the farm. So our family came together and yeah, we survived it. And actually the grapes are about to be harvested. They're looking good. Like we managed. Okay. Probably not as good as all of the professionals that could have been here, but I think we did all right. Right. Oh my goodness. So I keep hearing grapes and my first thought is wine. Do you make wine? Yeah. So we do. And we, this is the thing again, farming, it, farming ain't easy. We have lived here now for seven years of the seven years. We've only been able to harvest three because of crazy weather that we've had in our mm. area, which is very unlikely. And people don't understand that a lot of times farmers don't get reimbursed for the work that they do. You know, when they have crops, lose crops, we just had a big ice storm right before the cherry season. And I live in an area where that's like a huge thing. I mean, our whole area, cherries, right, is a big thing. Mm -hmm. And they're gone, a lot of them, because of these ice storms. So farming is really, really difficult. But we're lucky that this year our grapes look good. They go to a local winery. And I'm sober, so I don't get to drink any, which is very unfortunate. Very, very unfortunate. But congratulations on your sobriety, though. Thank so, you. You know, Thank you can you. drink the grape juice. You don't need yes. to, it doesn't need to be fermented. You can drink exactly. the juice. Exactly. That's amazing. So, because so the other thing I'm thinking, bringing this back to TikTok, like yeah. one of my favorite accounts is some lady who owns a farm on TikTok. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why aren't you putting your animals on TikTok? There's, there's some of my animals. <laughs> oh, some of them are shy. Some of them are just plain ugly. Like we, again, <laughs> we got a lot of rescues. Oh. I have some animals that are probably some of the ugliest you've ever seen. Oh and God. not very nice either. <laughs> it's like a farm of misfits. It's like misfit Oh, it totally farm. is. It totally is. We are a complete <laughs> misfit farm with all kinds of hijinks. But yeah, and the other thing, my farm is kind of like, when I'm outside of my office and mm-hmm. it's almost like my way to escape all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite farm is a, one of my favorite accounts also is a farm account. And I'm like, man, if I could just walk around like videotaping this stuff. But when I'm there, I kind of just want to be like hands free when I'm outside, you know? So yeah. all those moments, the best moments I never have my phone for. Yeah. Darn it. That's right. Yeah. I feel the same way. Do you think that like, so it sounds to me like the farming is almost like a little bit of self-care. Like, is the that farming? Your- I would say absolutely is. Absolutely. I think when we lost a lot of our community that we came from because of people not understanding what we were doing, like when we outed ourselves that we liked sex and romance, the, the animals kind of became part of our community. And I have, you know, no embarrassment saying I talk to my chickens and I talk to my cows and, you know, they're kind of my pals. And especially during COVID, thank mm-hmm. God that they were there to talk to because there were times when I was trying to homeschool these six kids that I was out there like, listen, we have to do something. This is, I need help. I need some therapy <laughs> from my animals. Yeah. But yeah, it's very therapeutic. I wish I could buy everyone 
a little farmer, a little cow, a little farmette, because I do think there's a sense of peace. It is really hard work, but some of the most peaceful moments I've ever had in my whole life have come from watching our, our farm grow. Yeah. Just being out there and kind of connecting with the nature of it all and everything. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is, well, so a friend of mine a few years ago, she lives on a farm here in Kansas and she invited my kids and I to come for a week for a farm camp. Yeah. And, and it was, it was, a, it was a very eye opening experience. Yeah. Her kids did all these chores. I mean, we got a dog during the pandemic. That was like mm-hmm. our, that's our one animal that we have. And I'm yeah. still, still my husband and I that walk it and feed it and poop it and all the things. Yeah. Cause my kids are like, Oh, I'll do it. Do your kids help with the farm? They that's, have to, right? Yes. That's one of the things that, again, such a huge blessing comes from this sort of thing. My kids are the hardest workers. I mean, they muck stalls, even since they were little, like my little kids, my six-year-old, they all have barn chores and they have to get the barn chores done before they go to school. Before they start schoolwork, barn chores get done. Wow. You know, whether it's like milking a goat, feeding the animals, collecting eggs, whatever it is, they all have their jobs and they have to learn how to work together, you know? And I think that's, like I said, one of the things that has come as a huge blessing is they've had to learn how to do that. Even with mm-hmm. the people in the family that they usually didn't get along with. When you have to muck out a stall and you have to get along with this person and you each have a shovel, which can double as a weapon, eventually you're <laughs> going to have to learn how to figure it out. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's been hard, like I said, hard work, but gosh, such a blessing too. Well, she has, she has five kids and, but Four of them are not interested in ever living on a farm again oh, and my, ever coming some back. Some of my boys say they hate farms. They, they're mm-hmm. like, I hate this farm. I'm like, that's fine. But it's teaching you how to be a good person. It's teaching you how to be kind to each other. It's teaching you how to work hard. Yeah. So like my oldest son is like, I would never have a farm. So I'm like, okay, great. You don't even have to return once you leave. But you know, <laughs> this is where you live now. You eat the food, you know, yeah. you love having the food so you can take care of it. And, and. I mean, if I was them, I probably would say the same thing. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I remember my parents just wanted me to literally like take my food that I ate from my bedroom, like the dishes and stuff down to like, that was my big thing. I mean, I did have a dog, but I didn't really do much with that either, to be totally honest. And my kids have like a list of stuff to do. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to prepare you for life. Like, this is no joke. <laughs> we're we're going to figure this out. So they, they are hard workers and they get dirty, you know? They got to. They got to. They got to. They have to now. So you have an 18-year-old who's a senior. Yes. So your, your nest is going to start emptying here soon. I'm ready for it. Actually, not soon because, I mean, I think about I think about that a lot. The six-year-old, we still got 12 years. That seems <laughs> right. like a long time. I'm not sure I'm going to be alive that long. I'll have to see. <laughs> but, you know, I've already been in 18 years. I got 12 years to go. That's a this, long why did I sign up for this this way? It's a long you know? haul there for my It is a super long haul. Luckily, my sixth one is like such a sweet angel child. I think God knew that I was about ready to just lose it all with the fifth one, that the sixth one is the sweetest thing. But I don't know, these teenagers, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of ready. Like I'll miss them. I know I'll miss them. Right. But I'm also like, I think it might be time for you to not be so close all the time. Right. You know? Well, or like my six, I have a 16 year old, I have a junior and I've noticed basically since he was a freshman every year, he just gets a little bit more. We just, 
we just don't agree as much anymore yeah. on things. And so I'm yeah. just like, anytime you're ready to start your life with all these great yeah. ideas you have, you let me know. Like, I'm yeah, happy please. to help you pack. Like, when he yeah. was five, I used to cry thinking about him going off to college. And now it's a year and a half away, and I'm sort of like, mm, I, yeah. yeah, good luck. You know, like, yeah. I'll see you at Christmas. Yeah. And and I think that's that's the the balance I think I'm trying to walk 100%. is like, Yes. You know, that I want him to feel ready to go. I want to feel ready for him to go. But yet, oh. <laughs> yeah. And it's so hard for me right now because, so my oldest son is one of the ones that is still homeschooling. Um, mm-hmm. It's a senior year. And, you know, obviously he didn't get to have a high school experience last year. He also is huge into sports. He, before COVID happened, he was being scouted for college basketball. And now he hasn't had a season and we're hoping he can get a season in. But because of the, like, the health issues, it's just too risky for us right now. And so it's hard because he wants to start living life. He really, he's kind of just on hold right now. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that has been really hard for me as a mom because I want him to be off and doing his thing. But I also want them all, all my family to be safe and my kids to be safe. So I think parents right now are experiencing so many hard decisions. I mean, thank God it's not the era where we were sending our young boys off to war. I think about that every day. Like, thank God that that's not the hard time we're experiencing. But just seeing them in this place where they're like not able to fully launch and like fully have these experiences that I kind of took for granted. Like my senior year, I was just like, you know half there, half not there. And he just so wants to be there. He so wants mm-hmm. to be present and have these moments. So I think it's really difficult. I think it's going to be interesting to see how these kids that have had this COVID experience, you know, what happens with them? Because right. we kind of just, I don't know, they're kind of the ones that have had to, I think, carry a lot of the brunt of it. The mothers that were working, number one, I think carried a huge brunt of this. And then these kids that have just kind of been at home, you know, waiting for their lives to start, especially that we're just graduating last year or about to graduate or we're trying to go to college and then they couldn't had to change college plans. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that would have looked like for me. You know, so it's it's really, yeah. really hard. It is hard. I I was I read an article about that I guess there's a real movement right now of a lot of freshmen in college who are who are coming home that they can't mm-hmm. they're homesick, they can't hack it, they yeah. can't do it. And, and they're getting a lot of shame for that. And I read this op-ed by a, a child psychologist and she was like, remember, these kids have not had a normal school experience right. for two and a half years practically right. at this point. She's like, yeah. they've been home alone with you guys, with their parents, with their pets, with everything around them and no social interaction. They have forgotten how to, yeah. how to interact. And yeah. I mean, I have one right now. She's a freshman in high school and she's homeschooling because yeah. she can't, she can't go up, yeah. she can't go in the building right now. She's just like, nope. I'm not comfortable yeah. yet. Well, and I think if our, I mean, like my animals, when we leave the house right now, because they're so used to us being with them, they get anxiety. So like, well, how mm-hmm. do we think our kids are going to respond to that? Right. Our, yeah. our kids are going to need so much grace to kind of have that time to get back into that. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's just going to take us time to figure all this stuff out. Right. We're kind of learning as we go. We've never experienced this before. Nothing like this has happened in a hundred years. Like my parents don't even know what to tell me. They're like, I have no wisdom here because I'm experiencing this for the first time too. So, you know, it's, I think as we give our kids and ourselves a little bit of grace to kind of figure it out, I've already told my high schoolers, I said, you missed two years. So if you need to spend two years at home and go to community college until you can figure it out better and have those experiences and kind of relive that time, I'm all for it. I'm not going to push you out. I I want you to be able to thrive 
not just survive. Cause I think the last couple of years, we've all just kind of been trying to survive. Right. right? <laughs> um, and so kind of give them that, that time to turn the needle to more like, this is what I want. And, and go after that where they haven't been able to, they've just been kind of sitting and hanging here waiting. Have you been, were you able to write much during lockdown and all this, or are you, you <sighs> feel like your creativity is stifled or how are you doing with all that? You know, I, again, looking back, I, I'm always really hard on myself. I have this big problem with that. I punch myself in the throat a lot, not so many other people. And <laughs> I feel like I pushed myself more than I should have. I saw another author post on social media about how, you know, they had been productive for so many years. And in 2020, they didn't produce anything. And I think my husband and I did about half of what we usually do. So I think we released like six titles versus like our normal probably dozen or so we would have, have put out, but we were also farming <laughs> and we were also <laughs> homeschooling six kids. So, you know, there yeah. was a lot of other things that we were doing that we wouldn't normally have done. But I also think just the heaviness of everything that we were feeling as a nation, as a family made it difficult for me to get a lot out because so much was in, you know, mm -hmm. the one book that we wrote where I feel like that wasn't the case was The Cabin which was a very emotional book and it kind of was therapeutic for me. But on release day, we had a fire. And after that fire, it took me several months to even be able to write at all again. Cause it's like when you have this national fear that's going on and then you have like a real life fear because we could have, I mean, my husband was a hero and he put the fire out cause we're a half hour, about a half hour from any fire departments, which also I don't recommend but he was able to get the fire out and, and actually took this giant air fryer that was on fire and threw it out. But we were very close to having a lot more damage and, and potentially losing a child or uh, an animal. And so I just had like a huge amount of fear and it like stopped me from being able to write. So it took me a while to kind of get back after that. I, at that point, I was like, man, this pandemic is bad, but this whole I can't sleep at night because I'm worried that we're going to start on fire is like way worse. Yeah. So processing through that and getting through the grief of that. And, and that was the hardest, honestly, part of my year. I do think as artists, we don't give ourselves usually, well, I wouldn't say indie artists, people that are in charge of their own career. Cause I think usually like publishers would say, you know, let's space out your releases. Let's, you know, you know, and you have that, but when you're in charge of your own career, I think it's really easy to be super hard on your schedule and your production, and you feel like if you're not working, then is this really a job? Because how many times do we get that as authors? Like, I was, I sat down with Amazon one time, some reps from Amazon, and they told me what they thought we did in a day. <laughs> they were like, we really think about like what you authors do, and you like take a walk, and then you sit down with some tea, and you think about. I'm like, are you? kidding me? No, I like <laughs> sit down at my computer and cry and bleed with words, like literally all day long when I'm not feeding the child or changing the diaper. But like to have that feeling that you actually have like a valid job and that you're actually contributing for me, it's like, I have, I have to be doing something. So I think it's important. And I, I even said in another podcast recently, like, I wish I could tell all authors to just let yourself take those breaks. Let yourself have that time. I know when my kids were growing up, I got invited to events and I couldn't say no. I just was mm -hmm. like, yes, 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 yes. And there was a period of time where my husband and I were speaking, you know, 13 
for three weekends out of a year, you know, 12 months a year, and we missed a lot. And I can never get that back. So I think even when your career, you know, kind of takes off, or you have a book takeoff, and you get invited, there's this huge feeling like I have to do this. But what I would say is, yes, it's great to be out there. It's not going to make or break your career if you say no. If you don't do all those things, if you're, if you kind of pick and choose what you do, because I think as women, especially, we're often really trying to be in between two worlds, right? This world of mothering that never is able to be put on hold. And as business owners and entrepreneurs, which all of us in this indie world are, you have this huge like pull to be doing these things and to be relevant and, mm-hmm. you know, get on all the social medias and make sure your books are heard. And I do have some, you know, looking back, some regrets of things that I did that I say, oh, I'm really not thinking that was the best decision at the time. I think I was really just going on like that feeling of I I really need to, you know, be at this event because everyone else is going to be there. And if I'm not there or I just feel so and I felt so lucky and thankful. So I felt like I should show people that gratitude by being there and. I think when it comes down to it, I came to the realization that, you know, my kids are really needing me and needed me during that time. So we had to make some tough decisions in our career. But I think we as women especially have such a hard time balancing those two worlds. It is so hard. I feel like I neither pulled all in one direction or all in the other. And I don't know what the magic formula is for that. I wish someone could tell me. Yeah. Because I just don't think it ever gets easier either. You know, I thought when my kids yeah. got older, but now it's still, no. still there. I, I feel like I, I feel like my kids need me more now that they're older. Like yeah. when they were younger, I feel like anybody could have just, you know, read them books and put them to bed and they were fine. Yeah. But now as teenagers, they have real, real tough issues that they're dealing with yeah. and that they want to talk through and that they want to like, they need advice, they need comfort, they need attention. And you're just like, oh crap. Okay. Yeah. I thought you guys figured this out already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let me let yeah. me dial in. And then I think the other thing too is going back to your like being saying yes to everything. You know, it's funny because I'm a person who I've always had really strong like no boundaries. I've been really good at saying no to stuff. <laughs> so, and I found out that I had to say yes to more things Sometimes. because I was like getting too introverted and I yeah. wasn't doing enough. And I do think though there is that feeling though of like striking while your iron is hot and making sure mm-hmm. that like. And it's one thing when you have a new release every two years or something, you can do that. But when you're putting out books, you know, 12 times a year, 13 times a year, whatever it is, you can't just constantly keep that pressure up and you can't keep that schedule going. And And you will burn out. You will, you will. And so it's like, you kind of have to figure out what is a, what's a schedule that you feel comfortable producing on because, and And you you can, if you have to move things, you can move things, you know, and if you have to. I mean, that's my whole thing is like, I used to pride myself on the fact that I never missed a deadline. I was like, I've never missed a deadline. I've never, yeah, I've stayed up till three o'clock in the morning for yeah. <laughs> two yeah. weeks. So I wouldn't miss that deadline, you know? Yeah. And and honestly, and then I think the thing that killed me was, you know, you turn it in, you turn the manuscript in and my editor would be like, this is great. I'll take a look at it next week. Yes. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Don't even get me started on that. I had to do edits right after I gave birth, three days after I gave birth. And I was like, I turned this book in like two months ago and you want me to turn around and do edits when I gave birth three days ago? Oh yeah. I think that's what I'm saying. I think as a, as a mother and as a woman, you make these crazy decisions that I think if a man was faced with this, he'd be like, not happening. Right. Yeah. And I found too, when I, when I was going through this career, cause I mean, this was kind of just 
went from nothing to a career, literally overnight. But I was asking people for advice about, you know, what do you do? You know, other authors that had children, what were they kind of doing to kind of manage this time? And, and I had one of, it was one or the other, either I do none of these things, I always say no, or I take every opportunity that I can get. So what are you working on right now, Jacinda? I know you're trying to figure this work-life balance. Have you figured it out? Like, what are you working on right now? <sighs> no, I'm trying to figure it out still. The struggle is real. I mean, I think it's, it, I'm enjoying the struggle at this point. That's what this year has taught me to just you know, it's okay to sometimes be a hot mess. You don't have to tell people that you're that, but just stay on it and stick with it, right? So we've been writing a lot of different stuff kind of all over the place just because I feel like our emotions have sort of been all over the place. I love authors that can just write the same stuff, but my mind is not like that and my mind will just start yelling stuff at me. So we just finished a very emotional kind of new adult romance that'll be coming out in October. And then we're going to do a Christmas book in our 50 states theory. We decided we wanted to write a book for each one of the different states in the United States. And so we're writing um, Christmas in Connecticut. We've never done a holiday story. So we're super excited about that. My husband's mad at me though, because we're writing it now. And he is one of those people that believes that you should not celebrate holidays like outside of the week before and the week after. So the fact, I know it's so weird. So (laughs) I know. I know. I think it's like a weird Baptist thing because he's like, I've never celebrated my birthday ever when we met. And I was like, okay, well, we celebrate birthdays here. We celebrate holidays. Right. I get to put out my Christmas tree on my birthday in November. But I'm making him do that. And he, it's funny because every morning he's like, bah humbug, but it's fine. Aww. He'll get over it. And then we are going to go back to a series that we wrote years ago, Alpha. That Ooh, was a huge hit yeah. for us. I woke up from like a half dream where I felt like there was part of this story that didn't get to get told. And so we're going to write another book in that series, which I'm super, super excited about. That was a great series. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I woke up and I was just like, <gasps> you know, I heard Stephanie Meyer talk about that's how she got the idea for Twilight. Yeah. And that happens to me so often. Like I'm half asleep, but something's coming to me. And then I wake up and I just run to my laptop or run to my notebook and write it down. But I really can't wait to get that book out. So super. It's right here. And then I know you're trying to take a break from social media and all that good stuff. Yeah. But if people still want to follow you everywhere and subscribe to your newsletter, where would they find all your stuff? Yes. JacindaWilder.com. The only thing that isn't linked on JacindaWilder.com, because I don't really go to it that much, is the TikTok. But I would love to have you follow me on TikTok if you're interested in like baby cows and teenagers doing dances and my husband wearing a Billy Cyrus wig dancing around, then absolutely come find me there too. Jacinda Jacinda Wilder on TikTok too. All right. Well, and please pick up all her books. She's got something for everybody. There's, I mean, with a hundred titles, you'll find something. You'll find something that you like. There'll be something that you get into. I can tell you, I really like the Big Girl series and I like this other one, the Alpha series. So I think you guys know which way I lean. So yeah. <laughs> um, Christmas in Connecticut sounds fine. Like as long as like, like you know. <laughs> there's going to be sex at Christmas say, though. Don't it worry. Like It'll be Christmas Hallmark, sex. But like with sex. Like there's yes. not, you know, it's oh, like what we it's all definitely, want. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly that. We will be no fading. It'll be Full on Christmas. Sex. Yeah. So and get, uh, get your yeah. get the audiobook so you can listen to it with your partner and have yes. a good time. Yeah. So do all the things because she's just so much fun and I loved hanging Aww. out with you today. Thank you so much for talking to me. 
And I am definitely going to follow you. you. I'm getting my phone out right now so I can follow you on TikTok and all the animals. Awesome. And if you ever decide to do farm camp, let me know because I'm I'm down for farm camp. I want to come. Yeah, we could do pants optional farm. Camp. Let's do that. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> Although my guess is probably on farms. That's probably the one place you really do need pants. But I mean, around the goats, I would say for oh, sure. Oh, I love goats. Sure, do you have baby here. goats? Yeah. Like, I need a baby goat. We do. During COVID, this is a funny story. I mean, like we were never bored because everything was going on, right? But the boy goats broke down a wall in our barn okay. and impregnated all the female goats. Like literally every single one was pregnant. So we had five babies. Oh. Like, all at the same time. So, yeah, we have a lot of goats right now. I think we have Those 15 poor boy goats. Right now. They were all like, they were all pent up, literally. Like, my I goodness. mean, I'm like, what's the chances that all these girl goats were fertile at the same? I guess they were like on that cycle thing that happens and they just yeah. wham, bam, all, all pregnant. So, oh my I got gosh. a lot of goats. Lot Nature of finds goats. a way, you always, know? Always, always. <laughs> All right, Jacinda, thank you so much. Please follow Jacinda everywhere and I will talk to you soon. Jacinda, thanks again. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening and subscribing to No Pants Required with Jen Mann. Don't forget to follow me on social media and subscribe to my newsletter at jenmanwrites.com. My newest book, Midlife Bites, Anyone Else Falling Apart or Is It Just Me? will be out in January, but it's available for pre-order everywhere books are sold.